Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Shavuot Tov, and welcome back to Interesting Questions. We are on Chapter 3 of Pirkei Avot, Mishnah Yud Chet, Mishnah 18. Here we go. Hu Omer, he used to say, meaning Rabbi Akiva would say, Chaviv Adam Shenivra B'Tselem. Beloved is the person that was created in the image of God. Chiba Yitzera No Lo. It is indicative of a great love that it was made known to people. Shenivra B'Tselem, that people were made in the, in the image of God. Shneemar, that it says, because in the image of God was, were people created. Beloved are the people of Israel, for they are described as children of God. It is indicative of great love. That it was made known to them that they are described as the children of God. Shneemar, that it says, You are the children of God. It is beloved of the people of Israel that they were given uh, a cherished instrument, which I think is going to refer to uh, the Torah. It is indicative of the great love that it was known to them that they were given this cherished instrument. That it says, For a good teaching was given to you. This is the Torah. Do not forsake it. So there seem to be three layers here as per uh, uh, our, our pattern in other Mishnayot, in Pirkei Avot. The first one, that people are um, lucky, right, that we were made in the image of God, or lucky maybe not the right word, or fortunate that they were made in the image of God, and even more fortunate that they were told that they were made in the image of God, and it gives a quote. And then it says, and B'nai Israel are fortunate that they are the chosen people, and they're even more fortunate that it tells them they are the fortunate people. And finally, it tells us that we are fortunate as the Jewish people to have been given a, uh, a great gift in the Torah, and even more fortunate that we were um, told that we were given this gift. And I guess my question for you, Akiva, is when someone believes that they are chosen for something greater, that they were assigned by God, that sounds at least haughty, if not a little bit uh, out there in terms of 
thinking that you've been chosen by God for a specific role. Are we, are we full of ourselves? Are we uh, 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 projecting uh, greatness upon ourselves? Or is this something else? It depends on how you look at it. So there's different ideas. One could say that, are we full of ourselves? Yeah, you could say that. You can, you can 100% say that, well, Rabbi Akiva wrote it, so therefore he was talking about himself, he was talking about his own people, so he's the author, he therefore said it, so on and so forth. Could that be said? Yes, it could. Another way to look at it, though, is the concept of dressing for the part. So if you're told that you have an interview with, you know, so-and-so muckety-muck CEO, you're not going to show up in a bathing suit and and flip-flops. And if you do, you're probably not going to get to meet the muckety-muck, let alone get through the front door. And in some ways, we've talked before about a lot of this responsibility being bestowed and it's not a privilege or a right there is no opportunity rather it is responsibility and if we look at it in that sense then the concept of the statement that the people of Israel are the chosen people and how great it is it may be great in regards to a responsibility and there's a great responsibility to therefore be an example of what to do, uh, an example of what not to do. And we do see these examples throughout not just the Torah, but our history as a whole, right? Even, even starting with things like the Noahide laws, which applied to more than just the people of Israel, because there were no people of Israel then. But this whole idea of, all right, I guess you're going to eat meat, Stop ripping limbs off of the animal while they're still alive because that's cruel. Okay, but then we see more and more where we are made to be examples and therefore have a responsibility to behave in a certain way. I don't know any of our people who, when we hear about something happening on the news, not only do we all depending on what the story is, probably find ourselves saying, please don't be one of us, please don't be one of us. But if it is one of us, there's an extra cringing that occurs because we feel that that's a representation of all of us. And I think in that regard, it speaks to the responsibility of we are a people that is unified and are looked at as a unified people and are looked at as a people who are expected to behave a certain way. When, you know, when we see somebody in a strimal with their children and their children are behaving like monsters, we feel that even if our children next to us are behaving like menches, oh, look at what they're going to see. They're not going to see my kids behaving like menches. They're going to see these other kids. So, so I do think that that's probably more indicative of the mechanism for which this was written rather than it being a oh look at me I'm so fancy 
it's probably more of a, you're going to look at me and I better behave accordingly. Avi, I, I was having a different thought. So, it is said that Rabbi Akiva began to learn even the Aleph Bet at the age of 40. And I'm not familiar, I guess, with a lot of what he did before the age of 40. I don't know if anybody is, but do we know anything about his life before 40? What perhaps transformative events said to him, let me see what I can do to become a more, uh, less of an Amaretz and more of a, well, a Rabbi Akiva? Uh, <coughs> so we generally uh, understand that he was a shepherd and he was watching flock and he, he met the woman who would eventually become his wife and his future father-in-law did not feel that he was a good fit for his future wife because he was unlearned and because he was, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not the kind of, of husband he wanted in terms of uh, income. And yet she went ahead and married him anyway. Um, and he was out in the field one day and he saw that there was water that was dripping on a rock and that over time, the water had worn away the rock. And he made the, the uh, connection saying, well, if the water, which is so soft, can wear away at the rock, even as it drips, 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 so too, perhaps the Torah can wear away even at someone who is as old as I am. And at that point, he went out and went and studied. And the story is told that he studied for many years. And as he was coming back, he heard people talking about his wife or talking to his wife. And she said, even if he had to go away, you know, again, to learn Torah, I would be happy. And so without even saying hello, he turned around, walked away again, and went and learned for more years, and then returned uh, with with many many students, and so and, and and he credits all of his learning to her, the fact that she was able to hold down the fort, the fact that she was able to raise the children while he was gone, and so he credits all of his Torah learning to her. Um, and so I, it was not. You know, random. It was it was a a very thought out plan that he went and and realized that he was getting a late start, but had the opportunity still to grow and to learn. So he had an unhappy father-in-law. It seems he did. Hmm. Maybe, maybe that's the lesson, is don't let an unhappy father-in-law keep you from learning Torah. I wonder if perhaps some of this actually, this statement comes from that sentiment, insofar as maybe part of it was he realized he had a responsibility, and his responsibility was not for, to forsake the Torah. 
Let's continue with the next Mishnah, Mishnah 19. Hakot Safui Vaharashut Nituna. Everything is foreseen, yet freedom of choice is given. Uvitov Haolam Nadon. And the world is judged with goodness. Vahakol the Firov And all is in accordance with the abundance of one's deeds. I have to say, Akiva, this is probably one of the most philosophical and deepest Mishnayot that we've come across. And in two short sentences, it, it, has, it has raised multiple theological questions. Uh, and I think we need to start with the first one, which is everything is foreseen, yet the freedom of choice is given. And so I have a take on that, but I'd like to hear yours first in terms of how can it be that everything is foreseen and yet freedom of choice is given? I suppose my take would be is that this isn't supposed to be understandable by our level of comprehension because we view time as one direction. Maybe two, but I think if you are perhaps, dare I say, thinking as, as an omniscient and omnipresent being, then you can both know exactly what will happen and realize that it is based off of choices that were made. Um, you know, they, it, it kind of makes me think about this idea of those the, the strings with different pathways that branch out, just because there are a multitude of pathways doesn't mean that we should assume that God doesn't know which pathway we took or will take. And that, I suppose, would be my take on it, which, again, does challenge that idea of is it really free will? But again, I think that's a question that comes from people who are not omniscient, which is a little bit of a, you know, impediment to understanding this complete concept. What is your take, Avi? So I agree with you. I think it's a difficult concept, and I may be oversimplifying it, but I think it's very similar to what you described. And and part of that is the idea that, you know, when I was younger, I, I did some computer programming, and there's the idea of an if-then statement, that if this happens, then you get result X. But if that happens, you get result Y. And in a world where there are an infinite number of if-thens, right, God is the programmer who's able to see all of the potential directions that things could go. And some of those things will lead you back to the point that you would have been at before anyway. Um, you know, some of those choices are small and limited. What should I eat for breakfast? What should I have for lunch? Do I don't go to the 8 o'clock minion? Do I go to the 9 o'clock minion? And some of those are huge life choices that may impact everything. Who do I choose to be my spouse? What city do I choose to live in? Do I change jobs? Um, what 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 job, what, what profession do I choose to go into, right? Those can be significant choices 
uh, and paths that we go down. And so they may take us down paths that close off other options. And so to me, the idea that Hashem knows all, Hashem knows all the options, knows all the variables, knows all the possibilities, and yet we have the choice which way we go. Because without it, then we couldn't be held accountable for what we choose to do, or what we do or what we don't do, right? Otherwise, we're automatons. I, as, you're, as you're describing this, I'm also thinking about the idea of how this might play a little bit into, in a reverse way, bitachon, which is something that I think we should talk about on a much more lengthy scale, but in a very, in, in a very uh, simplified sense, I think if we look at this in the reverse level, we can think about the idea that the choices that we have made and the pathways that it leaves us down <clears throat> are what is supposed to be, because that is the plan for us. And while we may not have gone in the, in the complete direction that we knew what we were doing, right? It's kind of like if you veer off of GPS, you still can get to where you want to go. You just might go a different way. And in some way, you still end up where you're supposed to be. And part of me thinks that that might be part of this as well. But again, I think Bitachon as a whole, I'd like us to have a much more in-depth conversation about. I agree with you with the, the larger conversation about Bitachon, but I'll just add the idea that I think if you're Bitachon falls, or, or it seems more obvious in those cases where you're making those large decisions than the small ones, right? Very few people say, I need Bitachon in Hashem whether to decide to have banana for breakfast, right? Deciding to leave one's job or deciding whom you're going to marry may take a lot more Bitachon. Let's look at the next part of that Mishnah where it talks about uvetuv haolam nadon, and the world is judged with kindness or with goodness. So the idea that when Hashem looks at the world, Hashem looks at the world with goodness or with kindness, and maybe it's because when we watch the news, there's this idea of if it bleeds, it leads, the news seems to be full of, uh, of negative information. Um, sometimes the information that seems to spread the fastest is that information that is negative or that is terrible. Um, and, and good news doesn't always necessarily seem to spread quite as quickly or go quite as far. And so I... I don't know if that's talking to us or if it's reassuring us that when there is a judgment, we are judged with goodness. Any insights on that? I think it's more of a hope. I think it's a, you know, we just finished Yom Kippur and we're in the midst of Sukkot, and 
right? So we, we have a hope that it's going to be a positive. We have a hope, you know, that we say, oh, well, Elul, I've done my tshuva, so Rosh Hashanah comes, I'll be judged. It'll be, it'll be a good judgment, I hope. Um, and then Yom Kippur comes, and we're supposed to be sealed, and I really hope that I've done a good, and if not, then, you know, I have till Shemini Atzeret, and then some people, I think, even take it farther beyond Shemini Atzeret. I've heard them, th- the Hanukkah being in the midst this was this was the other day, and uh, I don't remember which minion it was, but uh, I heard someone talking about how some say, "Well, by Hanukkah, I think we get farther and farther out." And again, I think it's a it's a hope that will be judged favorably, and perhaps some of that is an expectation and a realization that when you clop that many alchets and that many of them seems like, "Oh, I did this one again," then. The reality is, is that we can accept not that we are horrible and terrible, but that we are in fact human and have made mistakes and hope that if we can realize it, then presumably a deity that uh, knows everything also knows that we are human and we are fallible and judges us according and that would be the next piece i think which is we're judged based off of our deeds and we're held accountable for what we do wrong especially perhaps time and time again and perhaps we are also judged favorably in accordance with the areas that we have made improvements even if we're not perfect so i'm going to agree with you here i think that it is reassurance that we can be human, we can make mistakes, but it's okay because our judgment is in accordance with the majority of one's deeds. So if the majority of one's deeds, if one is working towards doing positive mitzvot and, and having positive actions and the majority of them fall into that category, then that is where the judgment will be. Um, even if one makes the occasional mistake, because we are human and we do make mistakes and we do things that are wrong, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, as we said on Yom Kippur. Um, and so the idea being that we, we recognize those failings, we try to address them so that they don't happen again, but we don't let ourselves get so caught up in them that we can't move forward and say, well, that's the end of the game. I did one mistake, I did one sin, and now everything is all over. You know, Avi, as we're talking about this, I'm reminded of um, a story that we were just told when they were, uh, when we were being spoken to about this new initiative, Generation Aleph. And uh, the, the keynote speaker, the Rav who was speaking to us, shared the story of, of the Rav Yeshiva who stood up in front of his Tamidim and said, they say in Olam Abba, for everybody, they wind up and there's a shtender with a Gemara. And for some of you, this will be heaven. And for others, this will be hell. And I think that perhaps the idea is, is that in part, it's not, it's not just the fact of did we have 
only these deeds or only those deeds, but it's also our perspective on the matter. And that, because we don't really have such a concept of, of hell as, as, as far as, you know, in the Christian view of, of hell. Um, but we do, you know, my understanding has always been that a lot of Ulamaba is a place to learn and be with God. And if, if you view that as not something you're looking forward to and it still happens, then clearly it means something very different than if you look at it as something to look forward to. The other thing I want to just tack on as a thought here is that if it's saying that Hashem judges the world with goodness, that is a role model for us as well. The idea that we too right, should try and look at the world and judge it through goodness, judge other people in a positive light, and including ourselves. We talked about being, being willing to forgive ourselves, but being willing to forgive others, being willing to, to positively assume the best of everyone. So with that, I'd like to ask a question for you to talk about around your Shabbos table. In Olam Abba, when you get to that shtender with the Gemara on it, is it going to be heaven or is it going to be hell and are there changes that you would like to make in some way or another to modify that perspective or is it not going to be a Gemara will it be a Chumash will it be a Navi will it be a Rambam will it be learning with a Navi 